welcome to the Cultivating Hope podcast. I'm your host, Heather Smith. And today we're going to be talking about cultivating hope in times of change. You know, change, change is not easy and change can be scary. It can be intimidating. It can be uncomfortable. It can be not enjoyable in a lot of ways. And then there's sometimes where change is exciting and it's something that we look forward to, something that we're working towards, um, something that brings about new passion and new joy. And so either way, if you find yourself kind of dreading change or if you find yourself looking forward to change or somewhere in the middle, um, we're going to be talking about that and, and how do we cultivate hope? How do we practice hope? How do we grow hope? How do we look for hope in seasons of change? So, you know, I've told you before that I love plants and there is this season of kind of the end of winter where everything's been kind of dead and brown for a while. And then all of the sudden, slowly, sometimes it seems just overnight, um, in our trees, in our front yard, we'll see a few little green little buds. And then a couple of days later, they'll look like little leaves. And then a couple of days later, all of a sudden, the tree is just full of these bright green leaves. And it's a season of change. And it's kind of a signal of a new beginning. And in my heart, usually when I see um, flowers start to bloom and trees start to get their leaves back, it kind of is a resetting in my mind and kind of this hopeful, like, okay, we're in a new season, a new beginning, a new starting. And um, it kind of brings about a fresh sense of joy and purpose. Uh, so I love when seasons change, especially when it changes into spring and um, before all the pollen and all the allergens and all that kind of stuff happens. But when we see that new beginning, so whenever we're looking or encountering a season of change, um, one thing that I've learned to look for is new beginnings and new beginnings can be scary, but they also can invite a season of hope. And the way that plays out in my mind is sometimes it's a fresh start and it's like, thank goodness that past is over and this new phase is beginning. This new thing is beginning. Sometimes it's, I'm really sad that that old thing has ended. Um, it can have a great sense of loss attached to it. And one thing that has really helped in navigating that season of change for, for me is to look at, okay, what am I going to take with me that's positive from that old season? And what am I going to bring with that into the new season? It may be a memory that's really precious that you're going to hold on to and carry into the new season. It may be a lesson that you learned. It may be a new habit that you picked up. It may be a new relationship or friendship um, that you built. It may be a new truth from God's word that you're going to hang on to and carry into um, the next season. 
So being aware and looking for those uh, lessons learned, those things that you're going to carry with you, and um, those ways that God has grown your faith uh, can be a way to help you navigate those seasons of change. Um, sometimes I have to enlist other people to help me in that. Sometimes there's a lot of change happening and having a close friend or a confidant that I can say, Hey, I'm going through this really hard change and I'm having a hard time finding and feeling hopeful about it. Can, can we talk through this? Sometimes having that outside perspective, um, can really help look for those moments of change because sometimes I know, especially when I'm thinking about a really tough season of change, you know, we are three older kids we adopted from foster care and they kind of came to us in a really crazy situation. We didn't have much time to decide. We didn't have time to prepare. It was just like, these kids need a home. Can you be available? We didn't know how long they were going to be there. We didn't really even know all of their story yet at that point. And they told us, you have an hour to decide um, or we're going to have to move on to plan B. And that's not much time. (laughs) And um, in that, I think that God was really gracious (laughs) to us that we didn't have a lot of time because we would have easily talked ourselves out of it. (laughs) Um, But as we said yes. And we entered into this, all of a sudden we went from, you know, a family of three to a family of seven, um, overnight and navigating that change was really difficult. Now there were a lot of great things that happened in that season. Um, you know, knowing that they were safe and they were taken care of and, and they were protected. Um, there was a lot of peace and comfort in that. But in my own heart, there was a lot of loss. There was a lot of sacrifice of time and space and quiet and um, just just a lot of crazy change that happened. And we had to rearrange our whole house, move bedrooms, move, you know, stuff out of a guest room, um, put in bunk beds like uh, we had to buy more towels, like even down to little things like we didn't even have enough towels for everyone to use. Um, and one night, uh, just all of this change radically happening. And it took a little while to kind of catch up, especially when it took us a little while to get adjusted into um, this new normal. And if you've ever been through a season of trauma or a um through a really traumatic event, I think you can kind of understand that feeling of uh, it takes a while to kind of get your bearings again and kind of settle into new normal. I know that's a term that's been thrown around a lot um, with COVID and the pandemic, but to get settled into new routines, new patterns, and, and that can be unsettling and it can be really easy to long for the past and to long for um, things that are in a different season. And so through that season, having people outside of our home that were friends, that were close friends that we could talk through these things with, it was really beneficial because, you know, sometimes they're able to see you know, I mean, I see you once a week or I see you once a month or I haven't, I see you once every six months and I'm able to see, you know, this area of growth and this area of change and, and, and 
and all of these positive things that are happening that sometimes when you're right in the middle of the situation, it's really hard for you to see. So if you're navigating a season of change and you are struggling with finding hope, um, talk to someone. That would be the first um, piece of um, maybe first step to begin to, to start to, to look for um, those positive things that are happening and look for ways to be hopeful. Look for ways that God is working. Um, the next thing in this kind of difficult seasons of change is kind of from an unlikely place in scripture, but throughout this, in, in different seasons of change that I've, I've had to navigate, um, my heart and my mind keep coming back to this passage in Ephesians. And it's from Ephesians chapter 4, and it's starting in verse 17. Um, and it's it's not a super long section that we're going to read, but I want to kind of um, read through a little bit. And I want you just to listen to to the message here. And, and this is about uh, going into a new season and change, you know, people who were apart from God, and then have entered into new relationship with God have trusted in Jesus as their Savior, and are now walking in a new way of life. And when we're in those seasons of change, there can be a real pull and a longing for old patterns, old ways of thinking. Um, It can can feel a little out of sorts of now I have, you know, new purposes and new ways of looking at things and and new ways of handling situations that can feel a little uncomfortable. But I want to read this to you. And this is what it says um, in Ephesians chapter four. We're going to start in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That is not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. 
And that's kind of a a pretty hefty section of scripture, but we're going to kind of unpack it a little bit. And so whenever um, Paul is referring to to the Gentiles, um, let's take kind of a step back into history. Um, And their people were classified in two categories, Jews or Gentiles. Jews were um, the chosen people of God who, through the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God had established his commitment and his covenant with the people. And so if you were not a Jew, you were a Gentile. Now, I would be a Gentile by by race, by ethnicity, by my family lineage. I am not a Jew, so I am a Gentile. And so before Christ, the Gentiles were excluded from a relationship with God. Um, they had their connection with God. They couldn't be connected with God because it was reserved for the Jewish people as a pattern of God's commitment and steadfastness to the people that he loved, the people that he was in relationship with. Well, after Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died on a cross for our sins, was buried, and then resurrected three days later, that old pattern was demolished. And we can see that by when Jesus was crucified, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. And that veil separated the people from the place where God's presence dwelled. And so the gospel was no longer just reserved for one group of people, but now was made available to anyone and everyone who would put their faith and trust in Jesus. And so we have these people that are coming to know the Lord, that are coming to trust in Jesus as their Savior. And there is great cultural influence that they're having to turn away from, that they are having to change their way of thinking on things and to stop practicing. And so whenever Paul's writing this to the church in Ephesus, he's saying, okay, when you were Gentiles, when you were separated from God, when you were apart from God, they they were clouded in their thinking because they couldn't understand the mind of God. They couldn't have connection and fellowship with God. They didn't have the gift of the Holy Spirit to understand what they read when they read in scripture to 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 see how God was working in their lives. They were darkened in their way of thinking because their heart was hard. Their heart was not soft and tender towards the things of God. Um, That softness and tenderness towards the things of God comes when we come into a saving knowledge of Jesus and enter into a salvation relationship with God. And so if you were a Gentile, you were apart from that. You couldn't have that. If you were, now we would say if you were a non-Christian or a non-believer, that would describe you. But then he says, that's not how you learn Christ. If you've heard about Christ, then you know that you have a new beginning and that we're supposed to throw off our old way of thinking, our old way of thinking that put ourselves and our needs first to pursue our fleshly desires. And the result of that pursuit of our own desires is sin and the wages of sin is death. But when we put on our new self that is created in the likeness of God, when we 
put on Jesus's righteousness in that moment of salvation, we're no longer pursuing our own selfish, deceitful desires, but we begin to pursue the things of God. Well, how does that change happen? How, how does how does our mind renewed? How is our thought life changed? How is our worldview changed? How is our understanding changed? Through scripture, through the power of God's word and what it says. You know, in the book of Romans chapter 12, you know, Romans is full of all kinds of um, great doctrinal beliefs and and so much deep theological truths. But in Romans chapter 12, um, in verse two, it says, do not be conformed to this world. Conformed, that word in the Greek has, has a picture of being pressed into a mold, being, being shoved into this, the world's way of thinking into the, the pressures of the, the world. And he says, but instead be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, the only way for us to be transformed in the renewing of our mind is through God's word. Whenever we are renewed in our mind, it causes transformation in our whole self, And so whenever in Ephesians 4 that we just read in verse 24, it says, put on the new self. The new self is created in the likeness of God. That's true righteousness and holiness. That's the pursuit of our heart. That's the pursuit of our mind and our thinking. No longer following after selfish desires and and the things that we want, but pursuing holiness and righteousness that that is transformation now if we're going to use a big fancy church word we would call that process sanctification which is a big long word that basically means becoming more like jesus and that doesn't just happen overnight it's a process it's where our faith is tested and the testing of that faith produces endurance And then endurance produces character, and that character produces hope. Now, the testing of our faith is, is are we going to put our faith into practice? If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, how are we living that out? If we confess with our mouth that that God is in control, how are we living that out in our thought life? How, How are we viewing the world are we viewing it through that lens of, of who God is and who Jesus is? Are we living our life looking for ways to honor him and to bring others into fellowship with him? That, that is a transforming, a transforming, life-changing thing that happens as we walk with the Lord. That's what it means to be a disciple. So if you have 
never had someone walk alongside you and say, hey, this is what it means to really follow Jesus. After you've made that spiritual decision, after you've accepted Jesus's gift of forgiveness and, and you are confident that you are a Christian and you know that your eternity is secure in heaven with Jesus, that's part of it. But then that's not it. The beautiful thing is we get to see God working in our lives here on this earth. In the midst of everything that's going on, the kingdom of God, the things of God can be made alive through us when we're pursuing justice and righteousness and holiness. We're pursuing reconciliation and making things right with one another. And so he goes on and he says, okay, how how do we do this? How do we live this out? And he said, the first thing, put away falsehood, be truthful, put away lies. And you know, that can be really easy for us to say, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, say lies with my mouth. But what about the way we think about things? Do we tell ourselves lies to justify bad behavior, to justify a wrong way of thinking, to justify prejudice, to justify holding hatred and anger and resentment in our heart by lying to ourselves, telling ourselves that's okay, um, or that we were offended first, or, or however we justify that in our mind? So the first thing is stop lying. Stop lying out loud, but stop lying to yourself. And then to be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, this picture of not letting the sun go down on your anger is a picture of not allowing resentment to breed in your heart, of not allowing frustrations to continue to build and build and build that that stretch on for days and months and weeks and years. Because when we do that, we're focusing on this way that we've been hurt and offended. And, and that allows for this resentment and this, remember when he talked about how the Gentiles, how they developed this hardness of heart, because they shut those places of their heart off and weren't letting God influence those because they didn't have a relationship with God. And so if we are Christians who have a relationship with God, then we keep our hearts tender towards the things of God, even in moments of anger and frustration and hurt and offense that, that we still bring those, those things underneath the truths of what scripture says. And we talk to God about those, you know, we can see in Psalms that when, when David's offended and he's afraid and he's angry, how he pours that out to God and worship. He doesn't hold back onto those feelings as if God were um, weak and couldn't handle it. No, he unleashes that and, and lets all of it pour out to God because God is big enough to handle that. He's big enough to handle our disappointments and our failures and our frustrations and the ways that we feel like we've been offended or slighted or or misjudged or, or whatever it is. And so he says, you know, that don't give Satan a foot, don't give him a an opportunity to have a breeding ground for more anger, resentment, and dissension. Then um, he goes on to say that if you are a thief, 
don't steal anymore, but work. And in that work, you would have something to share in need with someone who's in need. So if, if you're thinking, if we're thinking about things that we take from others, when we take things from others, whether whatever it is that we're taking from them, it could be something physical, um, like stealing something from them, like money or, or whatever. Um, when we're taking that from them, that's coming out of a selfish motive. Now, he said the opposite of that is not feeding that selfish desire, but it's putting that desire to work and not just work. I'm going to work so I get mine. I'm going to work so I can have everything that I want. He says, no, we work so that we can have something to share with someone else who's in need. And see, that that's the different perspective because whenever there's stealing it it's it's taking because you have a need i i have this need i have this want and i'm just going to take what i want a very self-focused mindset but when working in this idea of laboring that that paul's describing here is is i'm i'm putting in effort so that not just so that i'm taken care of but so that i have something else to share a radically different mindset And he goes on and gives another example that says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. So don't let things come out of your mouth that tear things down, that are destructive, that, that are, um, breaking other things down. And the opposite of that would be building up, being a person of encouragement, and we all know people like this, like, you know, people that when you go and you sit and talk with them, like, you just know you're going to feel worse after you leave that conversation because everything is, is destructive and corruptive and always finding fault and really negative. But then there's also people that, you know, that when you sit with, you walk away feeling like, man, I could take on the whole world. Like that's the kind of people we want to be that are speaking life and truth and encouragement over others, not tearing them down, reminding them of failures, reminding them of faults, but who are championing each other and pushing each other towards greatness. And, and so then, then he describes this next thing that he goes on into is this idea of grieving the Holy spirit and Then he says in verse 31, 30, he talks about don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And in 31, he says, this is how, this is what grieves the spirit, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. Those are the things that grieve the spirit. Those are the things that prevent the spirit from working. When we have that hard hearted attitude that is offended and, and, and looking for ways to, to tear down and hurt others. And, and then that would be the old way, the old way that's focused on our selfish desires. But the new way is in verse 32, be kind to one another, be tender hearted, forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. And so all of these things, when we think about this, this change and this change in mindset that comes as we apply this passage of scripture to our lives, this change in mindset doesn't just come from, from us. It comes from God working in us. So the power 
is not on, well, I'm just going to choose to do better. That's not where the power to make this kind of change happen. This kind of change is happening at the core of who we are, in our mind, in our hearts, those hidden, tendermost places. When, he, when, when Paul's talking about this change from the old self to the new self, those new self changes are coming from an internal place. It's not just behavior modification. It's not just looking like others on the outside. It's allowing God to transform all of the deepest, hiddenmost places of our hearts. And those places of change rest on the power of God, not on the power of us to constantly modify our behavior to always be perfect. Because if we could do that, we would have no need for Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean we just go and live, however, with no regard. That's that old way of thinking. The new self focuses on applying the truths that we find in God's word of allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives so that we can in turn work in others and bless others so that we can build one another up so we can have things to share so that we can be kind so that we can forgive others and be tender-hearted that's the goal so in these seasons of change where where it can be hard to navigate Go back to these verses here, and in this season of change, allow your heart to be soft and open before God, because God cares so much about your heart, so much about who you are, and He can be trusted with that. He's there wanting to work in your life. That doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect. We're still going to be in in these tough situations, but you're not alone in those situations. And that constant working of the Holy Spirit in our lives and that process of sanctification of becoming more like Christ invites hope into our lives. Because remember, the testing of our faith produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope, and that hope does not disappoint. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you that you love us so much that you would care to cause change in our lives. God, that you don't just, um, you know, stamp our ticket to heaven and then walk away. No, you want to create in us a new self that is righteous and holy and pursuing you. So God, in those areas in our lives where, where we're guarded and we're frustrated and overwhelmed and hurt and offended, God, help us to lay those things before you. God, search our hearts. God, see if there's ways in us that are offensive. And God, bring that to our mind and then show us and change our thinking and our desires in those areas. And God, lead us in the way everlasting. God, thank you that you are always with us. In Jesus' name, amen.